You have 24 minutes. You have 24 minutes from 24 Hour Nation, the podcast that focuses on opportunities and challenges in the nighttime and sociable economies of America's cities. Our website also focuses on what's new to see, do, and savor at night across the country, particularly in the most visited destinations in the United States. My name is Randall White, host and curator for 24 Hour Nation. You can find us online at 24hournation.com and on social media at 24hournation. Today, we will spend 24 minutes with Allison Harnden. Allison is the nighttime economy manager for the city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the first city in the United States to create such a position, a position often referred to as a night mayor. So how did Pittsburgh make this decision? How does Allison work with nightlife businesses and other city departments? What positive effect has the coronavirus pandemic had on managing Pittsburgh's nighttime economy? <laughs> Let's find out. Here are 24 minutes with Allison Harnden. It's so wonderful to finally be able to meet you, Allison. So wonderful to finally meet you. I'm a big fan of yours and um, how you have really elevated the discussion, not just in Dallas, but nationally and, and you know what you're doing now. So I'm a big fan. Thank you very much. Here. Thank you. Now, from your perspective, what is the nighttime or social economy of a city? Sometimes I discover that people don't know quite what we're talking about. Yeah, how would you define nighttime economy? Well, I'm glad you threw social economy in there because, you know, so many people think of it as just, you know, liquor. You know, um, I'm a liaison for food, beverage, entertainment businesses, but I my mission is around sociability. It, it's to, you know, create social uh, venues and support those. And, you know, Pittsburgh has seen a lot of the neighborhoods lose a lot of those social venues. So I think it's really just important to think of it in a broader way because it all has the same issues, honestly, at the bottom of it. Why is this attention to what happens at night in the social economy? Why is that important to a city? Well, I mean, you know, it's a big money generator, honestly. I mean, if, if you want to start there. But I think it goes back to the sociability. What what we learned in the, during the pandemic about our mental health needs, you know, mm. these are businesses and industries and efforts that help support the mental health of our community. Uh, so I think it's just really important that we invest in that and not that we invest in it in the areas that are already already have nightlife, but that we really open up that vision of what that could be. So what's Pittsburgh's story? How did it get from not having this to being the first U.S. city to go, we need to do this? What's the story there? Who made the decision and how did it move forward to eventually place you as the first nighttime manager in the city? And the, yes. The so um, um, one of the city council members who represents the most dense um, uh, nightlife, more, I wouldn't say most dense, but the most um, intense nightlife district. Um, and, and Pittsburgh has many. Yeah. Um, we're a city of 90 neighborhoods and about 10 of those have, you know, some level of nightlife. The, the councilman was looking for solutions because things were getting, you know, it, it requires a balance to have a, a thriving nighttime economy that fits within a community, really, you know, very close to residents. And he was looking for solutions. He came to the Responsible Hospitality Institute conference in, I think it was in San Francisco. As, yes, it was. It's where I met him. And 
um, he thought, well, I want to bring this process to Pittsburgh and um, work to get that uh, hospitality zone assessment through their planning department, went through involving over 130 stakeholders to make these, you know, cons- get consensus and make recommendations. And one of those was like, we need somebody in city government to help this uh, transition to a you know, a city that operates at night. And that's really one of the key things that I like to think of myself as. And so in 2014, the first night manager was not me, a person who was in the role for a year, and then I took it on. Uh, so that's where we're where we're at. I mean, it lost a little momentum in the time that it took before I moved cross country from the West to, to be a, become a Pittsburgher. And um, right. I had done some of the consulting here um, on that project. And um, knew a lot of what was going on. And- what was the time frame, though, from the time that that elected official went to our mm-hmm. the responsible hospitality institute conference to the day they did made the decision and made a hire? Um, so for another yeah. city that might be thinking, well, how how long is this going to take? I think it's going to be different for every city. Uh, Pittsburgh is a city that really struggles with change, you know, and and it's not comfortable, and it took. A, a while. It took, I want to say six years to get that done. Wow. But okay. Yeah. You know, um, but it, it really depends on the city. And I, I remember I was uh, consulting in Milwaukee and there was a city attorney there who said, you know, downtown is it, it's not just your downtown, it's my downtown, it's everybody in the suburbs downtown. You know, our downtown has some nightlife, but it's not the nightlife area. But I think when you start seeing that we celebrate you know, as people, we celebrate our moments, our our victories, our, you know, our Stanley Cup wins are, you know, in those spaces. And so it really is about all of our, as community members, um, it, it touches all our lives. When you once said, as a facet of nighttime economy, destination nightlife is most likely to cause a negative effect on neighboring residents. The visiting patrons, usually younger in age, are not being invested in the area, tend to be less mindful of how their behaviors cause disturbance and disruption to the area and residents. This is not unique to Pittsburgh. This takes place in many cities. So how is that managed through your office? What's a solution there? Because every city is dealing with that. At the time of that statement, we didn't have, this was definitely pre-pandemic. It was definitely before defund police. It was before Black Lives Matter. There is like a whole change that has come across the country that has affected that. However, one of the good things that did come out of that was we recognized that, you know, there were people coming to this destination that weren't invested. And we said, well, how can we get an investment from them? And we thought, well, we can do basically a parking benefit district. The this nice. particular area um, had really struggled to try and get a business improvement district. They had a, a development corporation that had um, dissolved. It didn't have a lot of investment, yet it was getting the impact in the city. You know, as a city, you have to deliver those services at a level equally to across the city. And if a destination uh, district will make greater demands on the city. So the parking enhancement district, as we call it, collected, we didn't collect night parking. um, And so we added on Friday and Saturday night parking meter enforcement and at at $1.50 an hour, Friday and Saturday night. So since 2017, we have collected nearly a million dollars. And that is reinvested into 
like a lot of business improvement districts have a clean team that they hire. So we use that to hire a clean team. That's the major expenditure. But we do things like that a business improvement district might want um, with that money. And we brought in police cameras in parking lots. Uh, we spend it on police training. Okay. Um, and so and so from what I understand you're saying right now that that parking enhancement or parking. Uh, I've heard it called parking benefit district, but parking I don't know. Parking benefit district, that funding has been able to come right back into a fund that then helps enhance the various business districts, nightlife areas, correct? Yeah, it is only right now, it's only the parking enhancement district is only in one neighborhood. And there has been definite interest from other neighborhoods to do this, but there are certain qualifying factors to do it and all that. But that money goes right back into those boundaries. You know, we've had desire to spend it on different things and um, we're about to spend it maybe on some more lighting. Okay. And so how would you say, how many nightlife districts would you say you have in Pittsburgh? Including the ones across the river. (laughs) Uh, Exactly. I have my little, I have a little map that I do. Um, And I I break them down sort of like there's the, you know, late night area. There's a regular nightlife area. There's kind of event driven nightlife areas like across the river where our stadium is and where um, a a big concert venue is. And then there's some right around colleges too. Um, I'd say really there's there's eight pretty good ones. And, you know, I talk a lot about because I don't have as much staff as some other of my peers, I work kind of strategically through. I do try and work directly with businesses, but we work strategically through business district managers. And those, have, those take kind of varying levels. They're they're coordinated through the Urban Redevelopment Authority. But we have two business improvement districts in in Pittsburgh, there are many community development corporations and chambers and, you know, just smaller groups, but we work very close. We got really to work closely during the pandemic. It really solidified a lot of our relationships there. Um, And one of the things I'm kind of most proud of is when I came to Pittsburgh, I noticed like there isn't a lot of people that come and speak and advocate to city council for what they want. Uh. And so one of the things I'm most proud of is that I've kind of educated these business districts, managers, like how to how to go to city council. I mean, that's a lot of what we have to do as night managers is have a foot in each world. You know, we need to educate the businesses about how to operate through the city. We need to educate them about how to be good neighbors with the residents. You know, we're, we, we funnel information through them that then they can work with their businesses. Um, and, um, yeah, during we used to meet quarterly. Now, it, and during the pandemic, we met weekly. I see. Um, and now we meet by by monthly. Okay, mm-hmm. perfect. Now, I, in Pittsburgh, how how I, I know that night managers, night at time advisors, night mayors in various cities are assigned in various ways. Inevitably, they report pretty directly to the mayor. But how are you structured in Pittsburgh, and how do you interact with the other department heads? Yeah, so I'm. Probably the only night manager in the world that's positioned in the public safety department. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, it's just in circumstances at the time that the position was created, it ended up there. But I report directly to the public safety director and send a weekly report to through him to the mayor. 
of what's I going see. on. Okay. And do you, um, do, you, do you have the opportunity then, though, to, to sit down and meet with a head of urban planning? Or, I mean, how does that work? I work with a lot of different departments. Our, um, what, what would be our public works department, our, our licensing and inspection department, our mobility and infrastructure department, you know, planning, zoning, uh, yeah, all those police. Okay, obviously. well, obviously, obviously. Well, and I liked the fact that you referenced that you're helping the private sector learn how to get in front of the public side and how to make things happen. And that's a delicate balance, isn't it, for somebody who's a public employee? Yeah, you know, I think it's just really, you know, it's it's even simple things like saying, here's how you register to be a speaker. Here's uh, what to expect when you go to city council here's who your city council person is. You know, a lot of people don't even know that, you know, even as a business district manager. I want to also say that during the pandemic, we created good relationships with a couple of associations. One was the music community through before they organized NEVA. Correct. You know, we were starting right. to have these desperate conversations and they were like, you know, the guy that was leading that effort in Pittsburgh is uh, works for a promoter and booker, you know, and he's like, I, you need to tell me how to, how to talk to, who do I talk to and how do I do it? You know? So it was just sort of helping them connect. And it was interesting to witness that too, here in Texas, before they gathered the cloth that they needed nationally uh, to survive the pandemic. You mentioned a little bit too, that things changed during the pandemic between the, we all know how many businesses we've lost in restaurants and bars and other sociable venues that just couldn't maintain mm-hmm. uh, operation. But you also mentioned Black Lives Matter. You said the tone changed a little bit. So the kind of rules that existed before then shifted. In what way? I I just feel like that people became empowered to feel okay in different neighborhoods that they hadn't been in to feel confident and to be able to speak their truth in those neighborhoods. But then at the same time you had, and this is going to get a little difficult to talk about, I feel like, so you may have to. (laughs) That's all right. That's all right. But you have the, the public calling for defund police. And what does that do when somebody, you know, disempowers you or just, you know, it's sort of like, feeling disrespected. So, you know, there are a lot more people in public space now is that when you limit hours and then you have staff reduction and you have supply chain reduction, so you're going to reduce your hours, that just still does not stop the motivation and desire to socialize. And so I think like other cities, we had an influx of people creating their own social interactions on the street, in their cars. Um, and it it felt fun and empowering and to be in, in these public spaces that we haven't been in before um, and to feel okay with that. And with this influx of new people and, and um, more activity on the street, our police then have to engage in a different way too. And some, we've had a lot of, um, like, I think a lot of cities, a lot of police there's just this age thing that's happening where there's a lot of retiring happen. I don't know about other cities, but we didn't have a lot of police academies going on during the pandemic too. So there's this kind of perfect storm of, we have more people in public space, we have less police, 
we have to find out a way how to police differently. Um, and that police, I, I hate saying police nightlife, but to keep it safe, like how do we do that? I heard a really great conversation the other day. It was about firefighters and climate change. And they said, we are fighting fires the same way that we did and control burns and things like that. It's the way that we did before uh, climate change. And we need to have new strategies. And I feel like that's exactly where we're at in nighttime economy. There's so much transition going on. Mobility, you mentioned as a partner. I always said when I used to do consulting for the industry and, and responsible hospitality institute, if the biggest bang for your buck in, in uh, managing closing time was having effective mobility. And, you know, in a lot of ways, Uber, Lyft, the, those those companies helped solve a problem like that because taxis didn't have enough of a fleet to manage it in a very short time frame. We had that disruption during the pandemic too. So we're experiencing a lot more people bringing their cars to entertainment districts, not using, you know, with the gas uh, with cost now, the prices of those shared, those rides have gone up. And so a lot of people bringing their own cars, bringing more traffic, it, 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 they're like, I got my car. I can hang around until three after bar closing. I don't have to go home right now because, you know, so there's just all this change and transition that's trying to happen. And it just is going to take, I think, years. to. I agree. I agree. Now, what's a victory? Tell me about some success story in Pittsburgh. You know, during the pandemic, it really changed the way I work because a lot of it used to be about helping businesses understand rules and regulations so that they are in compliance and they, you know, maintain um, good relations with the community and all that. A lot of it came, would be not punitive, but like I would monitor 311 complaints so that I could get ahead of it and say, hey, you know, you're somebody's complaining about your dumpster or, you know, I, I work with the business to, you know, help prevent them getting cited. And a lot of it was focused more on safety or noise and things like that. During the pandemic, I, while a lot of people got the luxury, I will say, of being in isolation and not working, mm. I we ramped up into high gear that never ended and still hasn't. I but it switched over to more of an economic development. And the, for me, the win was what the trust that I built with the businesses and the partnerships that didn't exist before. Um, with businesses that happen because my thought was, oh my gosh, there's so many new things to, to keep track of. We, in one week, we had three different orders from the state about, okay, you can't sell alcohol. You can't, you got to close at this time. I thought, you know what? These businesses can't even run their business for, you know, I'm getting all these webinars, finding out what funding. And I, I thought, let me do that for you guys. You run your business. And I, became like a trusted source to provide that information weekly. That for me, I felt like the, the, the trust that they gained with me, that they, that they imbued in me um, has blossomed into other abilities to work together. Well, that's fantastic. So that's a, that's definitely a win and that will carry you for some time, I think. And that would be a, a I think it's also an example for other cities that might want to look at this, creating this role of having this advocate and almost trainer and um, team member at city yeah. hall. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I always say that part of my job is to really help Pittsburgh become a city that operates at night and, I have, you know, part of that is working with different departments and saying, you know, how can you do this differently or how should you, you know, like what, why does this 
particular thing keep happening. Uh Um, There was a police officer that I interviewed in Seattle and he's, and he said, I just keep asking the question, why, why this, why that? And that, in that way, I feel like I'm kind of a disruptor and a detective at the same time. And it's fun. Um, You know, you are disrupting myths and legends that carry down about nighttime economy. One of the most interesting things about the consultation that I did is I found that river cities had the most prolonged uh, perception and myth about nightlife as vice. You know, they just couldn't let it go. Uh, ports and and river cities. Um, it was really interesting. I'd love to write a book someday. I <laughs> love this topic. You need you absolutely need to write a book about that because you are correct. I mean, when weird? you said that, I thought, oh my gosh, yeah, down by the river, it's always dangerous. It's always yeah, seamy. Yeah, it's just the perceptions that carry on year after year after year. And how can you disrupt that? And that's really what, you know, having night advocates is about too, because there's so much benefit tonight and what it brings to us. I all the other story I tell is that my sister was a graveyard nurse in the ER um, in California and it's a small area, small town area. Uh, when she'd go to work, the, she, the restaurants were closing and she didn't have anything to like pick up food on the way to work and things like that. And I thought, this is really unfair. So, I mean, part of it is about people that live their life on a different schedule and they have the same rights as we do. And they should have the same city services that other daytime oriented citizens have. So that's another soapbox I get on to. Well, me as well. You know, when do when do these people get to vote? They have to take the day off and they have to right. wake up and change their schedule and go in and vote. Right. Because, you know, when do these where's where's night care for kids? Where is mm. all those kinds of services that we just expect by day? These folks don't have if they are nighttime workers. So if somebody wants to learn more about what you're doing in Pittsburgh, there's a Facebook page. I see PGH Night Econ. Yep. Is that correct? On Facebook. You also have PGH at night on Instagram. They can go to just regular the Pittsburgh Twitter account or PittsburghPA.gov if they want to learn more about what you're up to in the city of Pittsburgh. Yeah. And I welcome anybody to email me as well. I'm going to give you the last word, Allison. And so Say somebody from Mobile, Alabama, or Reno, Nevada, wonders if their city needs to move forward with some intentional focus on the nighttime economy. What, what's the most important thing you would tell them to spur them on? Well, I think you need to take an honest look at, your, at what's going on in your nighttime economy. There's a lot of uh, misinformation, uh, hearsay about what's going on in your city. And you need to really make sure that that's fact. And there's different ways that you can do that. You could do that on your own. You could bring in consultants that do that. But I think it's important to have a balance at the table, hospitality, development, safety, community, different perspectives that come to the table. And that is hard because they speak different languages, but you'd be surprised at the same conclusions they come to. And you'll get some consensus that you can work on. I guess the other advice is that if you are going to go down the road of, you know, getting a night manager in your city, at the same time, if you don't have an an entity outside of city government, work on some way of bringing that voice and that balance to the conversation, because there are certain things that I can do within city government there are certain things I can't do within city government. When I was, I want to say it was like, I don't know how many years ago in New Orleans, when Merrick Milan was still the nightmare in Amsterdam, we were on a panel together and we both agreed 
I need a you. And because he works outside of city government, a lot of people think he's in city government. I said, I need a you. And he said, I need a you. Um, so there's, you know, it really is about that. Having an advocate on inside and outside of city government. And you can do that maybe collectively uh, outside of city government or have an advisory panel within city government that is made up of private sector folks. This has been Season 1, Episode 11 of 24 Minutes from 24-Hour Nation. Visit our website at 24hournation.com or follow us on social media at 24 Hour Nation.